0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We'll turn to Psalm 86 to Psalm 86. So did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Did you eat your turkey and your mashed potatoes and stuff? Who's put up their tree, their Christmas tree already? Well done, well done. The day after Thanksgiving is the rule. That's when you should put it up. It's late. (laughs) Just kidding. Turn to Psalm 86. I have a really, uh, I think a really awesome message this morning. We're going to be comparing Christianity and Islam. But I thought we'd read this Psalm here. Psalm 86. um, If if you're at Psalm 86, look at verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 10 in uh, Psalm 86. I still see some of you turning there. Um, this is a, co- a really cool passage comparing, comparing other gods. In the Bible, this Old Testament psalm was written at a time in the Middle East when every town, every tribe um, seemed to be pagan worshipers, worshipers of many gods, polytheism. And um, this is a comparison of the one true God to these many gods. Listen to what it says. Psalm 86, verse 6. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy In the day of my trouble, I will call you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. Did you hear that? Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. It says, you alone are God, and we worship the one, true, almighty God of this universe. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray to him. God, we thank you, God, for Thanksgiving and Christmas that's coming upon us. God, we thank you for your glory that has been revealed to all the nations all over the earth, that you are God and God alone. You've created this earth, and we worship you this morning. We worship you with our minds and our hearts with what we say and do. God, we worship you with everything that we are. And God, as we study Islam today, the God of Islam, God, would you be clear that you are God and God alone, that you, Jesus, are the way to salvation, and that we have good news to share with those that are Muslim. God, we worship you. We worship you alone today. It's in your mighty name that we pray. And everybody screamed. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Awesome. Well, this is the Mill Sunday School. If you're newish around here, this is the Mill Sunday School, by the way. And so the Mill, I see a lot of new faces. I even met some of you that have never even been to the Mill. Can you believe that? So the Mill is on Friday nights. You've got to come to the Mill on Friday nights. You've got to go to a small group throughout the week. And then you come to Sunday School. And what you get in here is different from all of those because this is a gathering of true nerds. Are you proud of that fact? (laughs) I see some of you looking around like, I'm not a nerd. Yeah, you don't have to be. But a nerd is a really good thing, by the way. A a Bible nerd, a God nerd is a really good thing. And and today we're going to look at, um, well, all this month, I should say, we've been studying world religions. Sunday school takes topics by month. We've been studying world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, last week, African religions. And today is the fourth and final um, Sunday of this month. We'll be talking about the world's second largest religion that the world has ever known. Do you know what it is? Islam. And um, and so let's just jump right into it, shall we? I once had some coffee with uh, some Muslim dudes. and it, it Has anyone ever been to a coffee shop in Utah? <laughs> coffee shops in Utah are very strange places. And let me tell you why. Because utah it's no it 's no uh, secret that Utah is like seventy three seventy five percent Mormon, and so Mormons, if you don 't know um, they refrain from coffee or caffeinated or supposed to at least I, I see lots of sodas being drunk, um, but they usually stay away from coffee shops and so the kind of people that are in coffee shops are three different kinds of people in a Utah coffee shop you' will find the bad boys and girls the The smokers, the people that wear black leather, and the people that may have come out of like a Mormon background, but they're like, I don't care about that anymore. I'm going to drink my coffee, and I'm just bad to the bone. That's how I am. Um, So that's one type of person in a Utah coffee shop. And by the way, this is a a gross generalization. Please don't be offended if you're a a Utah coffee shopper. I don't know why I said that. Um, So the bad dudes and and bad girls, you have... The Christians who love coffee. How many of you all love coffee? I think, I, I think coffee's pretty sweet as well. I drink it. I have a cup right here. And so you'll see, you'll see the bad dudes and girls. You'll see the Christians in the coffee shops of Utah. And then you'll see like the foreigners, the people that have, that, that have no idea that the coffee's bad in the Mormon culture that will just come to the coffee shops. And that's the three different types of people you will find hanging out in a Utah coffee shop. And so me and my buddies, we hung out at this coffee shop called Grounds for Coffee in Ogden, Utah. We were constantly there hanging out. We'd just say, yeah, let's meet at Grounds. It was Grounds for Coffee. We'd just meet there and go skiing. We'd meet there and spend, like, literally the day there. Uh, We'd study our Bible there. We thought it would be pretty cool. And we, we continuously were known as the Christians who sat in the back far table. And we would continuously engage in conversation with the people that would come, with the bad boys and girls, and with the foreigners, telling them, about Jesus Christ and witnessing to them and having spiritual or philosoph- philosophizing philosophical <laughs> conversations. And so we met some dudes, two dudes, um, <clears throat> who were foreigners. They had an accent. We started talking to them and realized that they were foreign exchange students from Iran. And we were asking them about their faith. And, oh, are you Muslim? And they said, no, we're not Muslim. Neither of them were Muslim. They were both from Iran, both grew up Muslim, but they were both kind of got burned out on Islam and burned out on following the Quran and at some point decided to become um, exchange students come to America and they get, kind of gave up on their Muslim roots and I think maybe part of that was the fact that you know the United States and Iran are kind of not the best friends in the world and and so I imagine that that they being two dudes from Iran were here and they probably just got a lot of I don't know, funny looks, people looking them up and down saying, are you guys going to you terrorists or, you know, you're from Iran. Do We need to be afraid of you. They just probably got a lot of that silliness um, from the, the college and where they were going to. And so they were kind of burnt out on Islam, that they're being just thrown into this box of, well, we're Islamic and we are terrorists, you know, is what the, you know, probably some of the perception, the wrong oppression that they were given. And so they were kind of burnt out. And we were talking to them about Christianity. And it was just kind of going back and forth. They had come from a Muslim background. I think they professed to be atheists. But a lot of what they had to say about morality came from a god. And so they were half Muslim, half atheists, kind of still figuring things out. And we were talking to them, kind of debating, going back and forth. And we said, "Well, Christianity's like this," and and they would say, "No, it, we think it's like this." And we kind of went back and forth. So "You're wrong." "No, you're wrong." And by the way, that's just a silly way to, to witness to somebody, just to say they're wrong, and then them to tell you you're wrong. It's just, it just ends up being kind of like mm, 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 mm. and they're like mm, 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 mm. and it was it was just kind of like that for a little while. And it was just a debate, really. It was like a, we would see that it was, it was quite a few weeks of hanging out. They were hanging out at the coffee shop. We were hanging out. We'd pull them over and say, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this passage in the Bible? And we'd talk about religion a little bit. And it wasn't until, I guess it was the it was Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so this was several years ago, maybe like seven years ago, um, um, in Utah when I used to live there. We invited the two dudes to join us and all of our dudes and friends um for a thanksgiving meal we had a big turkey and a bunch of people brought stuff and we invited them in because we wanted to to be friends with them we were not just entering into debate with them uh, debate after debate every time we met but we really wanted to be friends with them and so we were all sitting around um before dinner started kind of circled up it's obvious that we're going to pray and they they being both atheists and islamic we weren't sure how they were going to react and there was a little bit of tension about okay who's going to pray how are we going to do this and uh, we were at the house of our youth pastor has three little girls and one of the little girls who's four years old turned to one of the iranian um dudes and said would you like to pray for our thanksgiving dinner (laughs) (laughs) and he says he said you know just just a four-year-old little girl he says no um why why don't you pray and so this four-year-old little girl says, okay, everybody fold their hands. And so everybody folded their hands. And this four-year-old little little girl just started praying a really simple prayer because she's four years old. Thank you, God, for the food. Thank you, God, for the gravy. Thank you, God, for the house. Thank you, God. And then she thanked God for the two people from Iran. She said, thank you, God, for our two friends from Iran. And then she continued praying. And I, I peeked up out of my... You know, you're, you're supposed to have your head bowed, but I peeked up. And I saw that the two Iranian dudes, both of them, had tears, just kind of watery eyes. And, and because they were being welcomed in. And, and this little girl, in this little simple prayer, she was sharing the good news of community. And that God is real and God loves them. And, and she was praying, thank you God for loving us and, the, and this and that. And the two dudes, the Iranian dudes, just started getting misty-eyed. And it was later on that year that they both came to our um, our fall. like a, We had a fall retreat kind of thing. I think it was in the spring. So it was more of a, a spring retreat for our college group. And, um, and they both came. And they were both just open to hanging out with us and open to the gospel of Jesus. And I share that story to say, we're going to talk about Islam today. And it could be easy to just talk about all of Islam as a religion. Say, oh, it's a religion that believes this and that. But what we're called to do as, as Christians is to get, bring the good news to people, to Muslims that are people that are in need of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about Islam in general as, as a religion, I, ho- I hope that you'll get out of this the, the real thing that that Muslim people are in need of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about why they are in the need of the good news of Jesus Christ. But I thought that story would be appropriate because we are... We are in the business of loving people and bringing good news to people, right? Yeah. Amen. Somebody, give me an amen. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right, should we get let's just jump into the study of Islam. Here's where we're going today. Um, if, you, if you got a note, we call these the skillet because it's the Sunday school millet. It's an inside joke that I think is still hilarious. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Muhammad, that's the founder of Islam. We're going to talk about the five pillars. Of Islam, um, and then we're going to talk about core differences of Christianity and Islam. And then after that, we have a special treat. Someone is here. Uh, Farak is here. Would you stand up, Farak? I'll just I'll just say, uh, Farak is here. Um, I'm going to give him the last like five ten minutes to uh, to share his testimony. You may have heard parts of it before because we did a video testimony. Like it was almost a year ago now, huh? And then he shared a big church in front of like 14,000 people his testimony. And I thought, how appropriate to, for him to share his testimony today. So that's where we're going today. Let's talk about Muhammad, the founder of Islam. Muhammad was born in the city of Mecca. And at this point, uh, Mecca is not that um, cool of a city. Uh, Islam has made Mecca literally the Mecca of Islam. And we, we use the term Mecca like the Colorado Springs is the Mecca of Christianity in the West. We just kind of use that term because Islam has given Mecca such a big name. It's on your map here. It's in Saudi Arabia. It's that one. I don't think you could really see it, but it's, it's right there in Saudi Arabia. That's where Muhammad was born, um, right on the bottom left-handish corner. Yeah, you can't read that. Just trust me. It says in Mecca. <laughs> so Muhammad was born there. In, in the year, if you're writing down dates, it's kind of important um, to, to just to know when this religion started. Because it's not an ancient religion like um, like Judaism, the Old Testament. You know, they claim that, uh, and we, believing in the Bible, we claim that the Bible was written like 2,000 years ago, that um, Abraham was around like, two, I mean, excuse me, two, like 4,000 years ago, 2,000 B.C. That's an ancient, ancient religion. Muhammad was born in the year 570, 570. He's born born in Mecca. And uh, he, he's descendants of Bedouins who uh, come from the desert tribes who can trace their history. These desert tribes can trace their history back to, do you know who in the Bible? Who, yeah, back to Ishmael. Very good. So Abraham, if, if you know the story of the Old Testament and Abraham and how he promised a son um, at a very old age, he was supposed to have a son with his wife Sarah. They ended up having a son whose name is Isaac. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, but Abraham kind of tried to bypass God's promise and uh, went with his maidservant Hagar and had the son named Ishmael. And so, um, so they they um, the Ishmaelites, you know, they're like two thousand BC. Um, had the, what I'm rambling about is Muhammad and his, his tribe of people trace their history back through Ishmael, which will become important as a part of is- Islam. And so um, he's born, he has a pretty hard life growing up. Muhammad, um, his dad dies before he's born. His mom um, dies when Muhammad is around the age of six. He's raised by his uh, grandfather for a little while, who's a Bedouin. Um, meaning like out in the kind of roaming and, and uh, raising cattle and sheep and stuff like that in the desert. And then his, his grandfather dies and his uncle raises him for the rest part of his childhood. So can you imagine it? I mean, it's almost like, I mean, it's four different homes or at least three. Mom, um, dad dies, mom dies, grandfather dies. And then his uncle raises him for the rest of his childhood. His uncle's very poor and just provided enough food for him to eat. And... Um, Obviously, just not a very good life. Muhammad becomes a, at least childhood, um, Muhammad becomes a trader of goods and services and just a trader kind of dude. He gets married, has kids. And the first known story of him being religious has to do with something called the Black Rock. Have you heard of the Black Rock in Islam? Now, um, the Black Rock, um, Islam has given the Black Rock a lot of um, importance um, there's a picture of the black rock. I'll explain that in a second. You can leave it up. Um, uh, the black rock is supposed... Was before Islam, I mean, this is 570 when Muhammad is born. Before Islam, this ancient rock was worshipped amongst the um, Saudi Arabian tribes. What is today Saudi Arabia? The tradition is that either... There's three traditions, actually. Either one, that Abraham was given the black rock by an angel. Um, tradition number two... Abraham found the black rock with his son Ishmael, or tradition number three could be any of these. Um, the, the black rock was a white rock that fell as a meteor um, during the time of Adam and Eve, and when Adam and Eve sinned, the rock turned black. So any way you look at it, the rock has a lot of importance, and people all around the tribes used to worship this rock, and there was a flood that knocked over the Kaaba, which is the, like the altar that holds the black rock, So it knocks it over. They they fix the altar of the black rock. And then a decision has to be made. Who is going to put the black rock back on the altar? Wouldn't you all want to put the black rock back on the altar? You're just thinking to yourself, man, that would be sweet if I wasn't a Christian and I was worshiping this black rock. What a great honor it would be to put this black rock back on its altar. And so all the chiefs of the tribe meet different tribes, meet together, and they're arguing, saying, I want to put the black rock to represent my tribe. They're like, no, I want to put the black rock up. No, I want to put the black rock up. And then they finally decide, they come to inclusion, okay, let's stop fighting. The next person to walk through that gate will get to decide who puts the black rock back on the altar. And so they sit and wait. (laughs) It'd be sweet if someone came in. But they'd be like, what? What? Muhammad comes in through the gate. Muhammad comes in and he, he says, well, how about this? How about I lay my cloak down? And so there's the cloak there. And everybody, all the chiefs from all the tribes can raise the black rock up to the place where it's going to be put. And then Muhammad himself with his own hands puts the black rock finally into its resting place. And that's the, that's the story of the black rock and Muhammad and that's the first time, in, in at least in Muhammad's life, that we see him as um, someone that, that... I mean, think about it. For the rest of his life, he was probably known as the dude that got to put the black rock back on its place. Don't you think? They're like, oh, there goes that dude. You know what he did like a bunch of years ago? He was the guy that put the black rock back on the altar. He must be something special, don't you think? And they would talk about Muhammad and maybe... I don't know. Maybe he got kind of a big head. You're like, yeah, that's right. I am the dude that put the black rock back on the altar. Who knows? I don't know. That's not that's not written about in Islamic history. I just think it's very possible, don't you think? I mean, so and so coming from that, that's just that's just an important part of who Muhammad is. Um, so that's him lifting up the black rock, putting it on. He goes um, later in his life after he's married and has kids. He's around the age of forty. He begins to go to caves um, for meditation. And, and, and I don't know if he was praying to the God of the Old Testament or the God of the Black Rock or just some local deities. I'm not really sure. He was meditating in a cave, listening uh, for the voice of God or just being spiritual, and supposedly, um, and, and this may be true, this may not be true, uh, he may have made it up, he may have been um, visited by some sort of spirit, um, but he was visited, according to Islam, he was visited by the angel Gabriel who gave him um, a bunch of things. wrote Muhammad wrote down what the angel Gabriel was saying, and it turns out that those writings are this book right here. Do you know what this book is? Yeah, this book is the Quran. It's held as the holy book of Islam. Uh, Muhammad got his first vision um, at, during during his uh, he was about forty years old during the month of Ramadan. That's one of the reasons why Ramadan. Have you heard of that month? Ramadan is an important month in the Islamic calendar because that one of the reasons is because Muhammad received the visions, the first visions of the Quran. And it's a really long book. And and the, the story is, is that an angel, the angel Gabriel, gave him the words to write down, and he wrote down these words. And so the Quran is isn't like the Bible. You know how many author, different authors there are of the Bible? There's quite a few different authors of the Bible. The Bible doesn't come down to one person's testimony. the The book of the Quran, just to compare it, uh, I was already talking about Mormons, but the book of the Quran is is more like the Book of Mormon because the the Mormons believe that that their figure, their founder, Joseph Smith, found some plates in the ground and then translated them in directly into the the words of God onto paper in the form of the Book of Mormon. And so all this testimony of this book or the Book of Mormon depends upon who Joseph Smith was. This book depends upon who Muhammad was because Muhammad is the only one that wrote this book. Muhammad is the only one that got the vision. And so was Muhammad someone who would make up stuff? Was Muhammad someone who would get confused in, in the spiritual realm? How many of you all believe that the spiritual realm is real, that there are real angels and demons out there? As Christians, we should raise, almost all of us, <laughs> if not all of us, we should raise our hand. We believe in the spiritual realm. So what if Muhammad was someone that was confused by spirituality and maybe uh, some bad spirit was telling him what to write down? Who knows? As Christians, we have to have a way of explaining the second largest world religion. Um, and so that may be one of the ways to explain it. The, the Quran is a book that has a lot to do with who Muhammad was. And a lot of faith in Islam is put in to Muhammad. Do you know that our faith doesn't rest in one man? If our faith had to rest in one man, if it was Muhammad versus one man representing Christianity, you know who that person would be? It would be Jesus. But did you know that Jesus was not just a man? He was God himself. He had miracles. And, you know, I'm going to talk about Muhammad. Muhammad dies. You could go to his tomb today. Can you go to the tomb of Jesus and see his dead body? No, he rose from the dead. He walked around. He ascended into heaven. He appeared to people. He has miracles to prove what he said was true. Muhammad doesn't have any of that. And so who would win in a fight, Jesus or Muhammad? <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but then I thought, I thought man, it's so good. Um, <clears throat> don't, don't be offended by my shenanigans, please. Um, I do take this very seriously. Um, Muhammad did not believe that he was starting a new religion. Muhammad believed that he was a prophet along the lines with Abraham, Moses, even Jesus was in these line of prophets, and Muhammad was the next. Muhammad Islam believes that Muhammad was the last prophet to come. And so there's lines in the Quran like this. I'm going to read from the Quran. Um, it's chapters in the Quran, like a hundred and. It uh, looks like 114 chapters. They're called, uh, I guess, surahs. Did I pronounce that right? Surah. You have to roll the R. In <laughs> um, 3.3, it says this, It is he who sent down to you, in truth, the book, confirming, confirming what went before. He sat, he sat down the law of Moses, the gospel. That's the New Testament. The law of Moses is the Old The Old Testament. The gospel of Jesus is the New Testament. Before this, as a guide to mankind, he sent down the criterion of judgment between right and wrong. So here, Muhammad, in this book, the Quran, gives credit to the Old Testament and to the New Testament. Let me read for you one more passage in the Quran. Uh, 546, if you're writing things down just for your own fun. Uh, let's see, 546. 546. Here it is. It talks about Jesus. And we sent Jesus, the son of Mary, confirming the law that had come before him. We sent him the, sent through him the gospel. Therein was guidance and light and confirmation of the law that there had come before him. The guidance and admonition to all those who fear Allah. And so what this says, let me just recap, is that Muhammad did not believe he was starting a new religion. He He thought... He was continuing on in the line of the Old Testament, New Testament, that this was a new, better revelation through the prophet, through him, the prophet Muhammad. Um, Do you know that the word Islam means submission to God? And so this book is about further submitting yourself to God. And so they give credit. Uh, Islam gives credit to Jesus as a prophet. But you know what I'm reminded of? In the first, when we first at the beginning of this month, we talked about world religions. We talked about a famous argument that C.S. Lewis uses, the liar, lunatic, Lord argument in the book *Mere Christianity*. Have you heard of the argument before? That basically, the argument is is that Jesus cannot just be a good teacher. Jesus cannot just be a good prophet, because what did he teach? Jesus taught that he himself was God. He himself taught that he was the only way through God the Father. That through his death on the cross, that people might have eternal life. That's what he taught, and so I'm reminded of that as as the Quran gives t- says that Jesus was a great prophet. Like, well, how can he be a great prophet? He taught that only through him are sins redeemed, not through the Quran, not through a new prophet named Muhammad that would say something different. And so it's very strange to me um, that that the Quran would give such credit to Jesus as a prophet. The C.S. Lewis argument, if you haven't heard it before, says that Jesus can only be one of three things. He's either a liar, because what he taught was that he was himself God. And so he's either a liar and he wasn't God. If he is just a good prophet, then he's a liar. What he said was that he was God. And if he's just a good prophet, then he's a liar. He's either a lunatic um, in the fact that maybe he really thought he was God. He was a crazy person. He thought he was God really wasn't he was going around teaching that he was god and that salvation could only come through him but he was a lunatic he really believed it but it wasn't true he was a lunatic the only third example is that he was lord liar a lunatic or lord that what he said that he was god and that uh, that sins are redeemed only through him is true that would make him lord there's no room for him just being a good prophet or a good teacher and so um i think islam really has to has to do something about that, and to kind of explain why why there would be such why they would call Jesus a good prophet, and yet his teachings are about that he's God. It's confusing to me. Is it confusing to you all? I think it can be. Yeah. Um, let me just talk about Muhammad's death. Um, Muhammad actually, Muhammad receives the Quran in the cave, um, and then he spends the rest of his life preaching. I think we have a, a mural, uh, an ancient mural of, of Muhammad on top of the stairs preaching to people. Um, all around Saudi Arabia, what's Mecca today. He gets kicked out of Mecca, goes to a city pretty close called Medina, um, and then uh, a few years pass, he comes back to Mecca. By the end of his life, uh, um, the area around Saudi Arabia is overwhelmingly Islam, overwhelmingly followers of the prophet Muhammad just at the end of his lifetime. So it spread, spread slowly at first and then very quickly. And today, uh, I don't even know what the billion count. I think it's maybe like two point something billion people are Muslim. It's the second biggest religion in the entire world, after, of course, Christianity would be the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, it's a, it's a huge deal. And I, I've saved I've saved Islam for last because I think it's um, it's influencing the world a lot. And um, probably, obviously, since it's the second biggest religion, it's it's a, it's a force, a spiritual, religious force to be reckoned with, and that those people need the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. We talked about Muhammad. I want you, on all of your, pa- on all of your uh, tables is a piece of paper about this big. It should say, uh, the Mill Sunday School, important stuff in Islam. And so what I want you to do, uh, so I highly, well, maybe I don't, Maybe some of you are just brilliant and you really know Islam a lot. Maybe you've studied it. There are five pillars in Islam, five extremely important things to every Muslim. And so what we're going to do, there's a lot more than five spaces there. I want you as a table to think through, okay, what are some really important things to Islam? What do I know about Islam? Um, That Muhammad is the prophet, uh, that we just talked about that. There's a bunch of other things that are important to Islam, but there's five pillars and so write down as many as a, as a table. Just quickly brainstorm. Write down on that sheet some important things. Ready, get that go. Put down some stuff. Some important stuff. Um, let me give you the answers. You probably, you may have gotten this one. Number one, pillar number one, if you're writing down pillars, is, um, is basically what Muslims all believe. Do you know the saying? There's a saying. There is no God but God. And and Muhammad is his prophet. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. Um, that's, that's, number one would be the profession of faith, and that profession of faith is uh, there is no God but God. Allah is their term for God, and Muhammad is their prophet. Declaration of faith. We have it on the board if you need it. Number two, um, the second pillar of the Islamic faith is something that Muslims do every single day, five times a day. Do you know what it is? Yeah, it's the ritual prayer. Number two, ritual prayer. I think we have a picture of someone. Can we put that picture up? Supersede the this PowerPoint, put the picture up. I have, I think, can we do that? Is it possible? Oh, there it is. A dude uh, praying there, has the rug. Which way would he be facing if he was lived in Colorado Springs? Yeah, he'd be facing east towards Mecca um, because Mecca is the holy city and mecca has the black rock in it which is important um and so that's what they're doing he's, he's praying to mecca five times a day that's number two um number three i don't know that you would get this one um number three is is giving money to the poor did anybody get that a couple of people did excellent that uh, giving money it's called an alms tax giving alms alms tax is what i've heard it said as um giving money to the poor giving money to the cause of islam is pretty important to them um what about uh, number four is, is, has to do with Ramadan. Do you know that they fast during Ramadan? Yeah. It's one of their five pillars. Do you know how they fast? Some sun up to sundown. I remember as a, as we, in high school, uh, we went to Turkey as a family. <laughs> like a family vacation to Turkey. Um, I was born there. My dad's in the Air Force. We got to travel around, so like, we're just traveling the world. Um, and so I was born in Turkey, just randomly. Um, so, I mean, not random, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, my dad was stationed in Turkey in a, in a military Air Force base there. <laughs> you don't need to explain that. Anyways, uh, we were, went back to Turkey, and it was the middle of the day, and, we're, and it was during the month of Ramadan, during the calendar, Islamic calendar month of Ramadan and we were trying to find some place to eat and we're like what the heck is going on why aren't any of these stores open there's people on the streets all these people got to be hungry why can't we find some place to eat we just want to sit down and have a gyro and a coke <laughs> I always I always do that can I get one of your gyros <laughs> they always look at me like I'm dumb um it's cuz it's pronounced gyro by the way um Anyways, we couldn't find any place to eat because it was during the month of Ramadan. They fast from up to sundown. It is one of their five pillars. And, of course, the fifth and final pillar, if you're able financially and well-being, you should make a trip to the city of Mecca. And it's, it's, uh, I guess it's the least required one. All, the first three are required. This is a picture of, uh, see, can you see? I wish I had a laser pointer. That would be so sweet. I should invest in one of those. But at the center is a, is a black, like, square-looking box, it's the Kaaba. That's where the black rock is, which is a holy site to uh, Muslims. And around that black rock, I think the picture is kind of, you can't really tell how big it is, but you're literally looking at 2 million people. Everybody say, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you should. I mean, the Broncos Stadium, have you, how many of you have been to a Broncos game? You're like, yeah. dang. Whoa. That's right. They're playing today, right? <laughs> if you've been to the Broncos game, there's if it's a packed stadium, there's thirty thousand people there. Is that a lot of people? Yes. And, it, and like when the wave comes around you're, you, just like feel it coming. It's like, um, that's thirty thousand people. That's not a hundred thousand. That's not a hundred hundred thousands, which makes up one million. That's two million people in this in this stadium thing at Mecca, and two million people. 30,000 is like one point, I figured it out this morning, is 1.5% of 2 million. So the Bronco Stadium would just be like a drop in that bucket of 2 million people going to Mecca, following the route of Medina to Mecca, with the, the route that Muhammad took, because it's a holy pilgrimage to them. And all Muslims are supposed to, um, if able, to make their pilgrimage at least once in their life. So that's one of the five pillars I want to quickly, I see some hands. I think we'll have some time. Um, uh, we, I don't know that we'll have time. If we do, it'll be Q&A time with me and Farrakh up here in a minute. But I quickly want to talk about the core distinctions between Islam and Christianity. And these are by far the most important, probably one of the most important things we'll say today. Because um, it might be claimed that the God of Islam and the God of Christianity is exactly the same. We worship the same God. That is not true. Islam worships Allah. We worship Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, a triune being. We don't think that Jesus was just a good prophet. We think, ladies and gentlemen, that he was God. That's what we believe. That's what's core to us. And so I'm going to give you some fancy words. It says transcendence versus eminence. Those are fancy theological words. But since you're in Sunday school, I know you can handle it because you're nerds just like me. And you like big theological words. Right? Okay. (laughs) Man. Transcendence. Transcendence. If you're putting a definition of transcendence, put God is above all. Transcendence means God is above all. If you're putting a definition of eminence, put God is with us. God is with us. And so Islam worships a God, Allah, who is transcendent and transcendent only that Allah is above all creation. He, is, he makes the rules. He's above all. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's above all. Other religions worship an imminent God. If you hear last two weeks ago when we were talking about Hinduism, Hindus worship a, um, a God that is very imminent, a God that is very with them. They could put up little flowery things to their golden gods and worship them, and they're right there, and God is very much with them. We, and so as, as Islam, to go back to Islam, they worship a God that is not imminent. You can't have a relationship with Allah. He is above all. He's above all. You can't just talk with Him and walk with Him like, like we sing and pray to our God um, and, sing, and sing the songs we walk with Him and talk with Him, right? And so Christianity, as far as I know, is the only religion that worships a God who is both at the same time transcendent, above all, has everything under His control and imminent at the same time. We can talk to our God. He is with us. He, he died on the cross for us. He came to this earth as a man. And so the God of Islam and the God of Christianity, two different gods. That's the point of that. Um, legalism. God bless you. That's a good one. Uh, legalism. I quickly want to say that, that Islam is a religion that is very legalistic. And, and there's oftentimes... Leaders, it's been compared that some of the leaders of Islam are kind of like the Pharisees that Jesus says. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you make rules for people and tie loads on people's backs with all your rules and laws, and then you don't help people obey the laws. You just tie up and make more and more laws. Islam is kind of like that. In Islam, the leaders are called imams or Sheikhs, and they oftentimes will make up new rules for people to follow and say, you know what, we're going to do this and that and some more rules. And it's is really popular amongst some of the poorer parts of the world that are Islamic like Afghanistan, northern Pakistan, where these tribal leaders are both religiously and politically in charge. And they'll say, I know what we need to do. We need to kill the infidel. We need to uh, organize ourselves as a terrorist unit and be fundamental, radical Islamic and, and follow me like... Like Osama is, is a, was a sheik, or is he a, a mom? He's a sheik, and he, he controls the people that are serving him and says, let's do terroristic things and be and, and do it for the glory of Allah. And so it's a very legalistic kind of system. Um, the women in, in, in some of these places are treated horribly. I went to Pakistan on a mission trip, and we were witnessing to this tribe that we had to drive like three hours through this um, deserty Pakistan area. And um, we get there, and, and the, our missionary contact reminded us once again, do not look at a woman. Do not shake hands with a woman. Do not stand next to a woman. Do not talk to a woman. Pretend, and he said, I know this is going to be hard for you because you're, because Christianity says that women and men are equal and that women and men are both people and deserving of, of all the same rights. He says, uh, this is going to be hard, but totally ignore them. That's what we have to do in this culture because it's a, it's a religion of legalism. Women are totally, I mean, it was like 100 degrees, and we saw some women sitting in this back corner of this little hut. 100 degrees. They're totally covered, head to toe, with this big, like, uh, what's it called? Asari burqa. Good. Um, <laughs> I just like doing that. Um, those 100 degrees are sitting there, and literally you can't even see their eyes. Sometimes they have a slit that's open. They had slits that were open, but then they had like a net above it. So you couldn't even see their eyes. And that's just part of the legalistic way of, of that the rules have been made and rule on top of rule of how women are supposed to dress, and it's legalism. The third and final thing is works on your notes. It says works there. And Islam is very works-centered. Islam believes that there's a scale. Everyone has a scale of right and wrong. I was trying. I was trying to find one of those antique scales that, like the scale of justice, that you'd put things in this like holder, and if it's heavier, it would lean like this, and if this side is heavier, it would lean like this. Uh, Islam has this idea of everyone has a scale, that, and there's an angel on your shoulder writing down good things and the bad things that you do, and when you die, if your good deeds outweigh the if your good deeds good is over here outweigh your bad deeds then Allah will welcome you into paradise but if your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds then you will go to hell and Islam believes that there's a hell and that people burn and die there and it's a horrible place of torturing and it's all dependent upon the scale and so if you do some good things like oh maybe you go to Mecca maybe you do your prayers that's some good things but then maybe you do something bad you uh you disobey your parents. You uh, try drugs or something. You, you sleep around. You have some bad deeds in your life that can't be overcome unless you do good things. And lots of Muslims live in fear that somehow their bad deeds are outweighing their good deeds. And then maybe there's not enough time left in their life to do enough good things. And so they're totally dependent upon Allah to have mercy. But Allah is not a merciful God like our God is. And so it's totally dependent Upon this scale, you know what the good news is to, to Muslims? The good news is, no matter how far your scale is tipped towards the bad, no matter how, how many bad things you've done, Jesus Christ, boom, comes in, knocks the scale down and says, "I will be I will take the place of the good side of your scale. No matter what you've done wrong, Jesus can set you free of all your sins. That's the good news. That's the good news that Muslims need to hear. Because so many of them live in fear that they're not doing enough good things. I think we have enough. Let's, let's, let's hear our testimony from Farrakh, shall we? We've probably made you a, a way to get up here, like yeah. fighting. Um, Farrakh's a really cool dude. His parents are from Pakistan. Yeah. Um, he grew up Muslim. And uh, Farrakh. All right. I should be. Can you guys
1: hear me? Yeah? Cool. I can't hear myself. So, um, Like Joe said, my parents are from Pakistan. My dad was actually born before Pakistan existed, so he was born in what's now uh, Pakistan, but it was India at the time. Um, my parents had an arranged marriage. My dad immigrated here first for work. Um, he works for the U.S. government for the Army, and so he was asked to come here because of his specialty. And then a few years later, my parents had an arranged marriage, and then my mom emigrated here after that, and I was born shortly after that. Um, My story begins really... How many of you have heard my story before? Okay, so about half. My story really begins um, the first day of college. Up until that point, um, I was a good Muslim boy. I did everything. I did all those things except for pilgrimage to Mecca. I fasted. I prayed five times a day. Um, But there was always this emptiness in my heart but I did what my parents told me, and I loved them, and I believed them, and that was, I believed them to be right. So first day of college, though, is where the story really begins. I get to college, and I pull in. I went to the University of Missouri in Kansas City, and MU won yesterday, so that was cool. Sorry for all you KU fans. Um, but uh, pull into the school. I hadn't bought a parking pass, and so I park about six blocks away from the engineering school. And there's only two spots. This is the first day of school. There's like 18,000 people there. And for those of you math nerds in here, you'll appreciate this. What are the odds of this? I pull into the spot. There's one other spot left behind me. Another guy pulls in, and we start walking. And he says, hey, what's up? And I start talking to him. He introduces himself. His name's Andrew. And uh, we start talking, and he asks me, you know, what my major is. And I tell him electrical engineering, and he's like, cool, me too. I left my schedule at home. Do you mind if I follow you around the rest of the day? Sure. That's really weird, but okay. So this guy follows me around the rest of the day. We end up having the exact same schedule, so it worked out. Um, and him and I are, yeah, I was, what are the odds of that? So it worked out, and we had a lot in common. We were basically the same person, except for he was Christian, I was Muslim. Um, the second day we, of school, we agreed to meet up uh, and go to all of our classes together, and as we're walking to class from the student union, he invites me to a Bible study, and I'm thinking, oh, great, this is another one of those evangelical Christians that's going to try to witness to me, this is going to be annoying, and I'm going to lose another friend. But I, was, I wasn't going to back down. I believed in what I believed, and I wasn't going to back down. And so he invites me to a Bible study, and I'm like, no, thank you, I'm Muslim, you know, I, I'm happy with my faith. And he's like, cool. And that's all he said. I'm like, okay. That was weird. Most people pushed a little harder, but he said, cool. So we go through school together. At this point in time, I was dating this girl I was completely in love with. Um, and I thought I was going to marry her my junior year. That God had another plan. And my junior year, right before it get, began, um, God really said, I'm going to go to work in this kid's life because he is living for her. He's living for um, money. I had a 4.0 GPA. I was getting a good job and I was really excited about it. I, my head was huge. Um, I was obnoxious. So, uh, but in one huge swipe of his hand, God took it all away. My scholarships, my ex fiance at that point in time, um, ended up cheating on me, broke my heart. That sent me into this horrible spiral. I lost all my scholarships because my grades sank. I lost a job offer because my grades sank. So it was just the bottom of the bottom. And all this time, Andrew was going through the exact same thing almost. He, was, he had lost both of his grandparents at the same time. So he should have been as miserable as I am, but he always had this obnoxious happiness in his life. <laughs> And all you that are saved in here know exactly what that is, and now I know you do, too. But he had this obnoxious happiness in his life, and I really didn't think much of it at the time. And at that point in time, I also stopped believing in Islam, and I became like those Iranian guys. I got burnt out on it because what I had grown up believing wasn't true. I believed that if, you know, you were a good person, you were going to be rewarded, and if you were a bad person, you weren't going to be rewarded. And I didn't think I was a bad person, so I was pretty upset. So junior year goes by, and done what's, That year it was painful and uh, senior year starts and I have this empty hole in my heart. I stopped praying at this point in time. So I have this empty hole in my heart and in the back of my head, I knew it was God's missing, but in my infinite wisdom, I said, oh, it's girls that are missing. So I'll start dating again. So I dated a bunch of girls and that was definitely went nowhere. And so senior year goes by, I graduate, it was a fun year. Um, And I get a job, Andrew was on the five-year plan, I was on the four-year plan, so he's still in school. I get a job, and uh, that uh, summer, Andrew and I are driving around, and he is just obnoxiously bouncy that day. He is just so happy when he should have been miserable, and I finally got, I was like, what is it with you? What what do you believe that makes you this happy? It's annoying. And that is the first time. So four and a half years from the day that I met him, basically, is the first time he said the words, Jesus Christ, and then shared Jesus Christ with me. I was At the end of his story, I was like, hmm, okay. Um, so... It sounded you know, a lot different than what I believed, and I was interested, and so I started asking questions over the following months. And a few months later, one of the questions I had was, what's with all the singing? Because in Islam we don't sing, so at that point I was like, what's with all the singing that's kind of ridiculous, I don't get it. So he invites me to a thing called a Campus Crusade, I don't know if there's some here on the camp- campuses, but it was Campus Crusade for Christ, it was a meeting. And so he invited me to that, and I go, and I'm scared to death at this point in time of being judged, because I know the people that are in there, and they're all really good, strong Christian people, and I am just so scared that they're going to look at me and be like, that sinner, that horrible person. I wasn't too horrible a person, but I still was, I knew I wasn't perfect, and so I just felt so scared, and I go around to the side of that building as I'm walking to it, and I just can't bring myself to walk in yet, and I uh, just sit down, I start praying, and I'm don't know who I'm praying to, but I just, you know, asked for the strength to go in, and finally I convinced myself that, you know, what Andrew's in there, and if anything, he's my friend, and it'll be okay. So I go in there, and there's this outpouring of love, that, like like going to the mill or coming here. There was this outpouring of love that I have just never felt in my entire life, and everyone just wanted to be my friend, just wanted to talk. It was just completely different than going to the mosque or going to any of like the events that I went to with my family. Um, so it was just overwhelming. And I left that night with all my questions answered about the singing and whatnot. And and it was just different, and I was really happy. And I something started clicking in my head, and a lot of things started clicking in my head. One of them was, this really does sound legitimate. The other thing was, oh, my gosh, this is going to cost me a whole lot, and the whole lot was my family. Um, there's a scripture I want to highlight. If you guys will open up to Matthew 10... 35 Basically, it says, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I read that scripture and I was so scared that it brought me to tears many nights. It was unbelievable. And so I knew the cost of if I went down this road, there was no turning back and that it was going to be one of the most painful experiences of my life, even worse than losing a fiance. And it it truly was. It was the most painful experience for me in my life. As time went on, I asked Andrew for a Bible and I asked to go to church with him. The first time I went to the church, he invited me to a college ministry in Kansas City. And I get there dressed up uh, a little nicer than Joe is. And all these kids are running around like jeans and T-shirts. I'm like, what the junk is this? And where are all the pews? Because it was like the mill. There was just chairs. And it was not what I thought church was. So so it was just crazy. And the, the craziest part was all the songs that day that were sung were written just for me. And then Pastor Jim got up there and started preaching. And he had written that sermon just for me, it felt like, because about 10 minutes into it, I was bawling. I was just in tears. I couldn't take it so anymore. It hurt so bad that I got up and walked out. And Andrew walked out with me, asked me what was going on. I told him, and he said, you know, go on home, and we'll just talk later. And so I did, and then I tried to forget about it. And a couple weeks went by, and God kept just poking at me and poking at me. And so I asked Andrew if I could go back, and about a month later, I went back. And uh, this time, I went to the big church at uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple, and Lo and behold, that sermon was written for me, too. And it was basically the same thing that Pastor Jim had said like four weeks ago. So, And again, I was crying, and it was hurting so bad. But this time I sat through the whole sermon. And I left that day with with this feeling that this is real. This is completely different than what I grew up believing, and this is the right way. But again, I thought about that scripture, and I was like, I'm losing my family, and I love my family. And I don't know if you guys understand Asian culture, but in Asian culture family is the most important thing in that culture. And so it was going to be a terribly painful experience. And so, um, but I started believing and I started believing and November 7th of 05, I went to this party um, with one of the girls from Campus Crusade. Her parents were throwing like a barbecue and a bunch of us went. And I was in that room and they just busted out into praise and worship. And I'm sitting in the back of the room and I just felt this presence of God and love that I had never felt before, even at that other meeting, even at church, and it was just overwhelming. And as I leave that party that night and I'm driving home, I start praying and talking to Jesus this time and saying, all right, you know what, if this is real, then you're going to have to give me a sign because I am done. I'm finished. I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it. It's too painful. At night, I go home. I have a dream and I keep hearing this is the right choice. This is the right choice. And then I also remember a bridge, a really distinct bridge in my uh, dream and I didn't know what that meant but that's the only two things I woke up uh, remembering and so the next morning I had an interview with the Air Force I'm stationed here at Shriever Air Force Base and so I was getting ready to go into the Air Force and I drove down to Whiteman Air Force Base with my recruiter and that sign I asked for was crosses everywhere everything looked like a cross it was so scary like Telephone poles, of course, look like crosses, but trees look like crosses. And then I got to the command center down there at Whiteman Air Force Base, and we're checking in, and I turn around, there's this like big silver shining Jesus in the chaplain display, and it just freaked me out. And So I get home that night, and I have just been seeing crosses all day, and I go over to Andrew's house that night, and he's in his kitchen washing dishes, and I'm sitting on the couch uh, watching TV, and he's like behind a wall. And he yells over, is there anything I can be praying for you about? Are there any questions? And I say... I think I'm ready, and I hear this crash in the kitchen because he dropped whatever he was washing, and he runs out, and uh, he said, "What did you say?" I said, "I think I'm ready to become a Christian. What do I do?" And at this point, I understood a little bit about what Christian love is, and I understood what love really was now, but I really didn't understand how deep it actually went, and I didn't understand it till after we prayed the Sinner's Prayer. He went into his room, got his Bible, we prayed the Sinner's Prayer, and I got saved. And then he went back into his room, and he went and brought out this stack of books, and it was a stack of journals, and he had the brown one that he had been writing in that year, and I remember that one, but he also had this black one that I'd seen him carrying around all freshman year, freshman year, and he goes back to that second day in that book, and he's like, I have been waiting to show you this for five years. He opens that second day and shows me where he started praying for me when I told him, no, thank you, I'm Muslim, and he goes day by day by day. He prayed for me for five years, every day, ceaselessly. And that's what it took to get me saved. Um, At that point, I either thought this guy was insane, he was a lunatic, or um, it was real. And I believed that it was real because it was unbelievable. Um, The feelings that I had, the relief that came off my shoulders about that scale, that scale was knocked over, it was kicked over, it was gone because I knew my, my bad deeds outweighed the good deeds by tenfold. Um, every dirty thought I had, every curse word that left my mouth was a bad deed, and it was against me. And those were, you know, no matter how good you are, those are always going to outweigh you. Um, so that happened, and just there were miracles that happened almost instantaneously, too. One of the biggest things that my parents noticed was I always had a smile on my face from that point on. I was so happy. I was so joyful. The other thing my mom noticed right away is I stopped cursing. I Every word out of my mouth, usually every sentence had a curse word in it before I got saved. The day I got saved, every one of my friends noticed it. It just left me. It was gone. And so that was just a miracle in itself. Fast forward uh, back to February this year. Um, so that was two years later. I was scared to death about my parents in February of this year is when they found out. Um, and so that's been an interesting experience. It's a very hard experience. And that scripture still you know, runs through my head every time I see them, or every time I talk to them. And so it's just, now it's the journey of praying for them. It took me five years to come to know the Lord, and I was only Muslim for 20-some-odd years. They've been Muslim for, you know, all their lives. And so it'll take a lot longer. But So one of the things I want you guys to take away from this is don't give up. That prayer really does work, but it's on God's timing and not my timing or your timing, and it's all the more beautiful. Um, One of the coolest things that... Have happened is I never thought that I would be doing so many things in the last two years Um, when I went to the Air Force God brought me here for a reason up until four days before I got commissioned um, I was supposed to be going to Omaha Nebraska and I was looking forward to Omaha Nebraska because home is in Kansas City and it was just a couple hours away and all my friends and family were there and then I get called to the commander's office and they say oh by the way you're going to Colorado Springs you need to change your orders go okay and I was so scared coming here I didn't know anyone but God's taking care of me. I'm going to embarrass a friend right now. Um, I met a buddy when I got stationed here. His name's Nick. He's back there in the purple shirt. Um, and God placed him in my life. He's been an incredible experience or friend here. Um, he's basically been my Andrew here. He's taken care of me. We've been together. And this is going to be really embarrassing for him, but will all the single girls please stand up?
0: Because our unit
1: is having a squadron Christmas party, and he needs a date. So everyone, please stand up. I'm not joking. All the single girls, please stand up.
0: He is joking. Yeah. Now, joking. But, just joking.
1: No, I love him to death, and I just wanted to do that to embarrass him. Um, but so God's taking care of me, and <laughs> he is really red right now, but it'll be a good story later. <laughs> so god's taking care of me and that it's been because of prayer that's that's the biggest thing it's been because of ceaseless prayer that's good let's uh
0: let's thank barack for sharing that Let's, uh, I want to pray for, for He's too humble to admit this, but he's writing a book about his experience from Islam to Christianity in, in book format. So lots of details. And, and it's going to be an awesome testimony to, to Muslims. And so let's pray for Farrakh. And um, just he is going to be, it's, it's, I mean, think about his testimony. It's already been shared with so many people. I think God's going to continue to use that. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we welcome your Spirit in here as the Mill Sunday School. We pray specifically for Rock, for Farak, who's sitting here. God, may you use his book that he's writing. May you use his testimony, his words. God, we we pray specifically for his family. God, we thank you for the fact that his family did not just grossly disown him, but there's still a relationship there. God, would you use that relationship for your glory? Would you bring your spirit into the household of his family? God, we worship you, Jesus. We understand that you are the only way to salvation, that you've kicked the scale over of our good deeds and bad deeds, and just say that you will stand in the place of judgment for us. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And we ask for your blessing upon Farrakh right now. It's in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.